Good morning. Great to see you guys today. If you have a Bible or an app or something that you're going to take with you, to open it up to Hebrews chapter 5 this morning. Um, you guys may be aware, we, you know, we've got some folks who serve us in the military, part of our Jen King just walked out the back door there, and uh, Jonathan Bath, who are in the midst of being deployed with things happening all over our globe and concerns. Some of our folks are being sent to places that we don't know exactly where they're going, but obviously we know that worldwide tensions are uh, happening, and some of our own folks are, are being sent to be part of keeping peace and helping uh, manage crisis situations. So please keep those guys in your prayers as they are being deployed. Let me just say this before I I read this passage. This passage is going to interact with something that uh, is so common, so common for the Christian life. It's it's not going to be you know, some major, massive, disruptive sounding thing, but it is majorly, massively disrupting in the Christian life. And so I want to draw attention to it because it's, it's a more common problem for most of us than many other problems that we might find in the scriptures. I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, a new book that's out. It's a study on what's taking place in the hearts of people in America in their religious practice. Uh, it's called, the book was called The Great Dechurching. And it was a very thorough study of the movement of religious America away from, not just away from God. It, it really, really focuses on evangelicalism. So it's not just religious people becoming non-religious. It's church people becoming non-church people. It's people whose lives were engaged thoroughly in the body of Christ who have now, you take a snapshot of their lives now, They're distant from the body of Christ. They're not involved. They're not engaged. And that's happening at the greatest rate in the history of our country over the last 25 years. And I want to highlight something that I don't think it's an accident that in the midst of an America that has become a place of great abundance, great prosperity, an abundance of options for us, a pace of life that is grueling, and and a volume of distractions that that live in our pockets, in our devices, in our broad lifestyles. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that all those things are happening while so many people are moving away from God in his church. And you kind of hear that in this passage, because remember the Hebrews were a first century gathering of believers who were threatened to move away from God, to drift away from him, to lose their sense of belonging to him and following him and walking in his purposes. And this verse awakens us to a problem that's in their setting. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. About this, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For for though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's pray. Lord, I don't ever want to be a person who reads the Bible and thinks that these passages are about somebody else. Those people in the first century. Those people in another time era. Maybe some people that I know. Lord, I want to hear first, how is this a helpful insight from you, from me, from my soul, for where I find myself in my walk? And so, Lord, help us with that this morning, to see things that would serve what you're doing in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um. Put a little headline in your notes if you have notes. Difficulty that yields distance and dullness. You know, life is on its way. It's coming. And it's coming for these guys. And they experience something in their moment, what I would call a a life crisis moment. And every day of our lives, every season of our lives is not the same. That was true for them too. And life shows up with a weight and a severity and a pressure on them that just has a different effect. And this book is going to interact with that effect. It, it's, it's about persevering, right? We started this by looking at how Hebrews is going to turn this pivotal moment in Hebrews chapter 12, where we're invited to let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. All right, well, that, that's the starting point and the focal point of the book of Hebrews. It's trying to help you and I run a race that requires endurance. And there's moments when the weight of life sits on us and it begins to crush us and crush faith, courage, tenacity to hang in there. Right, so that's our experience. That's these guys' experience as well. And when that goes off, right, and, and it goes off maybe for them differently than it does for us. You know, maybe in this room, if you could have a conversation with lots of people here, and, and you could just ask them, hey, where has the weight of life fallen on you in the last year, in the last three or four years? And just let them ponder that for a moment. And what would they describe? Maybe they would... Talk about a death that took place in their life and the season of grief and separation that they're now trying to figure out how to do life without that person in their world. Maybe they've gone through a divorce. They've had to rebuild their whole world and find resources and find patterns of life that are completely unfamiliar to them or some other relational loss has taken place. Maybe it's been their finances. Maybe something that was a great source of income and sustenance in their life is now in jeopardy or it's gone and it's changed. Or maybe their health has changed. 
right? Maybe they've traveled through life and all of a sudden, physically, you don't feel the same. That could be some condition. It could just be the natural aging process that makes us suddenly feel differently about life at this age than we did just a few years earlier. And, and that feel can be haunting and mysterious. And all those things can, can sit on us and create a weight for us, a crisis, if you will. But can I just tell you that in the middle of a crisis, you have to keep doing life. You got to do the daily stuff, the mundane, the day-to-day, the routines, right? So when, when life showed up for them in the first century and great persecution came and loss of jobs and people in the church didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. And, and they heard rumor of a friend who used to be in the church who moved to another city who'd been killed because of his faith. And, and they knew this stuff was awaiting them. They had to still do life. But quite honestly, when you stare into this church, they had begun to stop doing life. It's why they, you get pointed out here, there's, there's a, a disconnect in the teaching ministry in this church. Hey, I've got much more to say to you about this, but, but it's become hard to explain. You, you, you can't hear what I'd like to teach you because of the lives that they were living, because of the weight that they were under. There's a breakdown in natural growth and development. By now, you ought to be in a different place than you are. Something should be different about your story, but it wasn't. They weren't growing. They had stopped doing these fundamental things that they needed just for life. But they were really going to need it when life turns on them. And it becomes weighty and difficult and hard to manage and mysterious and confusing. I don't know if you guys, uh, you know, life, life, life's got these really painful, noisy moments. All right, so the king of pain in people's description, men, you know nothing about this, at least that's what we've heard, unless you've had a kidney stone. I hear you know a little bit about this if you've had a kidney stone. Childbirth, right? Uh, you talk to any of the ladies here, and they're going to tell you that childbirth is a pain that is in its own world, <clears throat> And those of us who are guys, you know, we, we don't get to experience that level of pain. But when we were having our first child, when we were having Sophie, uh, we, we took a natural childbirth class. And so the two of us go to this class and we're being taught this birth process and what it's going to be like. And, and my job was to be the coach. I even had a hat. It said coach on it. And... Uh, you know, I was assigned what felt to me like a really insulting task. My job was to remind my wife to breathe. I thought, you know, I'm a college graduate. I could probably say something more intelligent to her in this mighty moment of need than breathe, breathe, right? And why does somebody need to remind another person to breathe when they're giving birth? Well, well, any of the ladies in the room know, because the event is about to be so painful, so noisy, that even something as simple as breathing is going to vanish from your mind. You're not going to pay attention to those simple things. 
Listen, there's other things in life. Doesn't have to be childbirth that can become so intense and so fierce. Things like their season that could have produced anxiety, great gripping panic attack anxiety. Right? If you've ever been with a person, or if you've ever been a person who experienced a panic attack, breathing's not a bad suggestion, is it? I mean, you're you know breathing into a bag, do something just to regain a sense of composure in your life. You know, listen, if you're a person traveling through a season of great depression <clears throat> or discouragement, I'm going to need some water. <clears throat> you're in a moment where the pain is so great, it'll shut down all the other areas of your life. Can I just give you counseling 101 to anybody passing through a season of depression? You cannot afford to shut down the other areas of your life. And it's going to feel like that's the only thing you can do. You cannot agree with that. You cannot do that. Thanks. That's a bucket. I could take a bath in this. Thanks, Carly. (laughs) Simple things like you need to eat. You need to sleep. You need a regular pattern of sleeping. You need to go outside and walk around. You need to get around people. Now, none of those things are things you want to do when depression is sitting on you with a massive weight. Well, there's some spiritual things here that these guys needed to be doing some basic spiritual things in their lives because this great day of weight was coming. And what the writer points out is these breathing exercises, if you will. That's what's been missing in your life. And you're in a dangerous place now. And quite honestly, this is one of our more common dangers as believers. That's the problem. That's the trouble being unearthed here in Hebrews chapter 5. John Piper says the writer of Hebrews hasn't come right out and said it until now. But he has implied there's something wrong with the Christians he is writing to. In Hebrews 2.1 he said, pay close attention to the message you've heard lest you drift away. In chapter 3, verse 12, he says, take care lest you have an evil heart of unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 14, he said, hold fast to your confession. In all of these urgent admonitions, you begin to get the impression this writer is really concerned about some situation in the churches of his day. But until now, He's only given the cure, right? The cure has been consider Jesus, look to Jesus. And we've been doing that for chapters now, not the diagnosis. Now he tells us what's wrong. Dullness of hearing. Dullness of hearing is hearing without faith and without the moral fruit of faith. It's hearing the Bible. I'll listen to this. It's hearing the Bible or the preaching of the Bible the way you hear the freeway noise on I-94. Or the way you hear Muzak in the dentist's office. Or the way you hear like this recorded warnings at the airport that this is a smoke-free facility. You do, but you don't. You have grown dull to the sound. It does not awaken Or produce anything. That's big. Remember a couple weeks ago, Aaron 
had preached from chapter 4, verse 12, how the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, how it pierces into the soul, judging the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And he, and he made a point of helping us realize the word of God travels deep into us and it does its work. Are you feeling that? Hebrews. Is something going off in you? Are you is something being awakened deep inside of you? That's the concern that this writer has. I wrote in your outline note, there current malaise is not merely the result of their life crisis. It's been added to by their dullness and by their immaturity. That's the word that sits in this passage. In immaturity. I want to say, you know, immaturity might be the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. But I, I think it's a little more complicated than that. It's not like just this thing that got added at the last minute on top of all your other burdens that that thing crushed you. I think immaturity sticks around a lot longer and it's with us for a lot longer time. But it is a crushing weight. So our lives can go through trouble and, and doing life with all of its difficulties. But our immaturity adds more weight and everything becomes bigger. Listen, if you and I are traveling through the Christian life in an immature fashion, then everything gets out of proportion. The problems in our life get out of proportion. The needs that are around us get out of proportion. The people in our lives, how to interpret our future. Fear is bigger because we're immature. We don't look at things in a mature way. Ken Hughes says, literally the phrase reads, you have become sluggish in the ears. Therefore, we understand that their problem was an acquired condition characterized by an inability to listen to spiritual truth. They were not naturally slow. They were not intellectually deficient, but they had become spiritually lazy. They listened with the attentiveness of a slug. They had become unreceptive and closed. How does one find this condition? Well, according to Mr. Hughes, it's an acquired condition. You become this. Now, there's, there is a place where immaturity is appropriate, but it's not tr being treated appropriate here. There is a place that you just got born. You just got born again. You are taking your first steps with God. You are immature and that's legit and it's right. That's not how this passage sounds though, is it? This passage stares out at a group of people and says, you ought to be in a different place. You shouldn't be here any longer. You should have moved on from here. Instead, you have acquired immaturity. You've acquired it. You have practiced something until you've actually acquired it, like a project you've been working on. Right? No, we don't have this conversation among ourselves, but we don't walk up to one another and say, hey, hey, Keith, how's that, how's that immaturity coming? Well, um, you know, I'm in exactly the same place as I was like two years ago. And nothing new, nothing exciting, no new faith. 
no courage, no putting off anything. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's coming along really well. Thanks for asking. Right? We just we don't treat it that way, but we are working on it. And quite honestly, you got to work at it to be immature. Can I say it that way? Because this verse actually is making human beings responsible for this condition. You got to work at it. You know why you got to work at it? Because there's two things inside of me that want to grow, even if I don't pay attention to them. There's the seed of the word of God. The Bible describes the word of God as a seed planted in us, capable of transforming our souls. So that seed wants to do something. It's programmed a certain way. It bears fruit. It wants to germinate. And then the Holy Spirit waters that seed and makes it want to grow all the more. That's going on in the life of every believer. Every one of us has got the seed of God's word in us and the work of the Holy Spirit taking place. Something in me wants to grow. It, it wants to emerge like a tree coming out of the ground. It wants to be bigger next week than it was this week. It wants to eventually bear fruit in categories of life. To stay immature, it takes some work. It takes you and I living in the wrong spaces intentionally. So in some ways, it feels like, yeah, uh, immaturity happens by accident. Sort of, but sort of not. If you're a believer... You do have to get asked the hard question. Can, can, can you tell me what you're doing to restrain the word of God and the power of the spirit in your life to help you stay where you are? How would that be for a question? Because that is actually going on inside of us. God wants to break out and renew and transform and accomplish new things and change our minds and change our convictions and give us insights and have lights come on. That's normal. When that stops being normal, what am I doing? That's created that kind of restraint in my life that would cause these guys to be written to by the Holy Spirit in this writer to say, you ought to be somewhere else than where you are right now. Raymond Brown in his commentary says, instead of giving their best mind to sound doctrine, And it's practical application, right? Maturity involves both. It involves learning. It involves knowing things. You are never going to be a person who is mature without knowing deeply what God has said. Not going to happen. But just knowing isn't enough. It needs to be applied. It needs to get experienced in our lives. So he says they... Instead of giving their best mind to sound doctrine and practical application, many of these early Christian readers have become dull of hearing. The word really means sluggish. It's used in the Septuagint of slothful men who refuse to tackle hard work. This breaks some unattractive news to all of us. Being a disciple is hard work. Got no shortcuts. Got no get-rich-quick schemes to promote to you. It's hard work. it's, It's hard work to really be here this morning as a disciple, 
seeking to grow and mature. It, it's hard work to be listening and taking notes. Let me fault everybody here who doesn't take notes. Because when I'm sitting in a message, when I'm sitting in a meeting, I am aware the Holy Spirit wants to use the word of God to touch me. And not everything that's going to be said is going to touch me equally. That's not how preaching is. And it's not going to touch every person in the same place in exactly the same way. But it's going to find me because the Holy Spirit is personal. And it's going to take something that's said and zero in on me in that moment. And when that seed comes to me, what am I going to do with it? Now, if I didn't write it down, I don't know how you are. I'm going to forget it by the time I get to the car. But if I wrote it down with the intention that I'm, I'm going to revisit this, I'm going to stare at it a little bit further and see what God has to say further to me. I, I want to ask you for a show of hands, but how many of you guys have recognized that you get a revelation of something? Services are great for that. Conferences, you get a revelation of something. But what that's going to become needs something beyond that meeting. Right there is, you know, Paul highlighted his ministry. So, you know, I planted, Apollos watered, God was causing the growth. And so there's this watering thing that comes behind whatever God might plant in your life today. It's going to need to get watered. All right, can, I, can I just tell you, I, this is a little bit of a public complaint. Um, all right, so in the summer, in this massive heat that we had in the summer, we had some new roommates move into our uh, yard. They were called chinch bugs. We thought it was just heat. We thought we just needed to water more. Oh, no, no, no. There was a gang of chinch bugs eating a third of my lawn. A third of my lawn. And so we had to replace a third of my lawn. So we planted all this grass a couple of weeks ago. And guess what has to be done after you plant it? Water it like nuts. So every day, you know, no matter what time I get home at night, it's like, okay, I got to go out and set up the sprinklers. I mean, it's a third of my lawn, so they're set up all over the place. I got to let them run for an hour and then move them, let them run for an hour again, and then move them again. It's like, it's like midnight. I'm going to go to bed. I got to water my grass. There's something like that happening when God plants something in your life. The chinch bugs of this world and the heat that is here is going to burn it up and kill your grass. Unless Apollos comes along and waters. Unless you water and tend to and pay attention to what God is doing. So this, this immaturity that's in us, it, it can be impacted. And the expectation is that it should be. That's right, so in verse 11 there's a description of a little bit of what I'd call a, a teaching dilemma here. Teaching that won't stick. About this, the writer says, we have much to say. Okay, about what? What is it that he has much to say about? Well, remember last week, Frank talked to us about the priesthood, the high priesthood of Christ according to the order of Melchizedek. So that immediately might sound like, I don't know anything about that. Can we, can we just get on to something really more simple? That is so over my head. Can I just tell you, the writer of Hebrews doesn't think it's supposed to be over your head. I want to talk about this, he says. I have much more to say to you about this. But the breakdown here is you can't receive it. 
He doesn't show up and say, oops, I brought the wrong textbook with me. Y'all haven't had this class yet. I shouldn't be talking about this. This is, this is so over your head. He acts like he should be able to talk about it. As a matter of fact, he acts like whatever he's about to say about the priesthood of Christ and the, and the order of Melchizedek is going to mean something to them in the midst of their life crisis that they're going through right now. But I can't tell you about it. You wouldn't know what to do with it. Now listen, this is a real danger. This is a danger of being an American disciple. American disciples, because we have so much. We're not people in some prison with two pages of a Bible. That's all we've got. That's not our story. We've got Bibles everywhere. We've got information everywhere. We're living in a hundred categories of life. I just want the information that helps me do this. This is what I got going on this week. I don't know what you got going on this week. I got this going on this week. I don't know what all this Bible is about. Hey, what are the pages that are about this? And we do that week in and week out. And so we only study the Bible based on what we think we need to hear. That's a terrible practice. What if God just wants to talk about something that you and I don't know how valuable it is or how relevant it is to that? That's what's happening with these guys right here. Raymond Brown says, at the end of chapter 5, verse 10, He has stated that the eternal priesthood of the Lord Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. His reference to this Old Testament character leads him to reflect on the congregation's inability to benefit by the solid food of deep Christian teaching. He is, if he were in a modern setting, saying, hey, you guys have skipped too many systematic theology classes. All right, so let me me just tell you, like what Matt and Pastor Peter are about to to lead the church through in a study of systematic theology on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. It is not removed from your life. It's about the character and nature of God. It's going to use big words to try and get us to understand his transcendence and his nearness and whatever other theological words that are going to poke into that conversation. And you, you could be tempted to stare at that and go, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really need this. I don't really need this. Listen, this book is about him. It's about him. The greatest need of my life is to explore the living God. Not just explore how to have a relationship, how to date, how to have success, how to invest, how to be the head, not the tail. I mean, all the stuff that's been highlighted, almost like informed by American priorities that don't have a place for God anywhere in it. And then the Bible comes along and says, hey, I'd like to have a really deep conversation about the nature and character of the eternal God. And we kind of go, I don't think I need that. Listen, in your moment of crisis, you don't need information about God written in a point four point font in small letters. You need bold capital letters yelling at you about who God is. Something about Jesus Christ being a high priest needs to find you in your moments when the wheels are coming off your life and nothing makes sense and you don't want to live another day. That information, the Bible diagnosis, is critical to us in that moment. I cannot 
I must not subscribe to a world that tells me what topics are important and which ones are not. So it sounds like, well, a systematic theology class, what the heck is that all about? It's about your survival. It's about you being able to trust a God who's bigger than you ever thought he was because you think accurately about him. It's about understanding how he operates and what his purpose is in this world so that you can interpret your own life moments. You need things like systematic theology classes. You need foundations classes. The reason why we offer these things, these are not for eggheads. And can I just say, if you ignore doctrine in your life, everything will feel like it's over your head. You you can't afford that, can you? I cannot. In my moment of life crisis, and life is coming, I cannot afford for the truth of God to feel like it's always over my head. And if I do feel that way, hey, look, if, if you were just saved in the last year, okay, you should feel that way. You should be right now scratching your head about a lot of stuff you hear and go, wait, 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 what do I do with that? I'm not sure I understand that. But if you've been saved for years and you still got a lot of stuff that's over your head, what you doing to stay where you are? How are you pulling that off? How are you restraining the Holy Spirit and the word of God to let you stay where you are? By now you ought to be. That's where this passage goes. Verse 11. There's something here hard to explain. But the fault is not being put on the speaker and his content. I would like to tell you about this. The fault, he says, is with pervasive immaturity. Richard Phillips says the writer of Hebrews began this extensive instruction on the high priesthood of Jesus Christ beginning in chapter 5. No sooner does he begin to explain this, however, that he realizes that he has a pedagogical problem on his hands, right? The difficulty of teaching, that's what pedagogy has to do with. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. That being the case, our writer turns aside to deal with the matter of his reader's immaturity and lack of spiritual commitment. Until he has corrected this, there's no point proceeding into deeper matters of the faith. Listen, if, you're, if you have a child growing up in your home and they get to a certain age and, and they, they, they're not capable of certain things, they, they, don't, you know, they don't clap, they don't walk, they don't speak, you would have concerns about that, wouldn't you? You would begin to be concerned your child is developmentally delayed and, and you would invite some help into that moment. There are too many Christians who are developmentally delayed. Just not growing. Just not moving to the next place in God in their life. And then the crisis comes. And then you come in for counseling. And, and, and you're going to ask the counselor to do something somewhat miraculous. You're going to ask that counselor to share with you vital information that you may not be able to hear. You may have nowhere to put it. Something hard to explain. Some of you guys who have gone to Pastor Peter for counseling, he does this better than I do. You're coming in because the wheels are coming off your life and you're pulling your hair out and you're all freaked out. And then at some point in the meeting, you start facing 
a bunch of questions that sound like this. Well, tell me about your Bible reading. What's your prayer life look like? And you almost want to turn to him and say, I got real problems, dude. I, I mean, did you, are you listening to me? I've got this and this and this going on. And you're telling me to breathe. Well, exactly. Because if you don't breathe, you're going to suffocate. And you just got another problem. Quite honestly, it's probably another problem after a previous problem and after a previous problem beyond that. Because the pattern of your life is to maintain immaturity. The thing that would rescue you and come to life and produce faith in you and give you some direction to solve this, change this, it can't sit in your life anywhere. Because you just don't breathe. You don't read your Bible. You don't pray. You don't interact with God in some of the most basic doctrinal ways. That's exactly what this writer in Hebrews is doing. Listen, all the while in our modern setting, we, are, we have PhDs in fantasy football, in TikTok, in Wall Street, in political candidates. We've got PhDs in this stuff. We could press the play button and you could go to town, couldn't you? I could talk about that. Matter of fact, I am lit. I'm glad you brought that up, man. But pull out the high priesthood of Jesus and you're kind of like, mm, no, nah, sorry, nothing, nothing. That matters? Yeah. Well, talk to me about Trump. Oh, oh well, listen, it's not that we're not studying things. It's not that we're not deep in things. We're just immature in the categories that matter the most. Verse 12 says, by this time, you ought to be. If you don't remember anything else from this message, this, this can go with you for the rest of your life. Seven words, seven words that communicate the expectation of Holy Scripture. By this time, you ought to be. So in the purpose of God unfolding and our maturing spiritually, there, there's timing involved. It's appropriate for this writer to look at a length of time and, and not to prematurely say by this time, but, but by, yeah, maybe not there, but by this time, by this time, you ought to be something different. And there's a great insight here. Maturity takes Time. And that's kind of a, actually an incomplete description. Because if that time has you doing nothing with it, it won't serve you. Maturity takes the stuff that fills up the time. It takes the learning opportunities that time offers. It takes the life experiences that time offers. The suffering, the challenges, the difficulty, the stepping by faith. It, it takes that stuff that's part of time for maturity to start to show up and take its color and inform our lives. Which is super helpful, isn't it? Can I, I can just tell you as much as I, I'm, I'm promoting the reading of the Bible and I promote the reading of systematic theology books. If you went home today and said, I'm not coming out of my room until I finish this book today. It will help you. And then I would say, but maturity will still take time. Your knowledge will have far outpaced your ability to apply what you learned. 
So there is a, there is a doing life piece that we need. And then this is helpful, right? Parents, can we sign on for this? That your children are maturing and maturity takes time. It's not just a matter of you doing the right thing toward them. It's not just a matter of you saying the right thing to them. It's not just a matter of them reading the right thing at the right time. If you're 13 years old, you're 13 years old. If you're 16 years old, you're 16 years old. If you're 20 years old, you're 20 years old. And there's some aspects of life that have to happen and the word of God mixed with them that's going to bring maturity, right? So maturity takes time by this time. You ought to be. The Bible expects something. It expects on this journey, here ought to be different than here. Something should be happening in between these two locations. So where you once were, by God's purpose, you ought to be in a different place. And in this category of maturity, it matters. And, and this is not the first time Paul's had to point this out. Right? Paul's brought this same exact point up. Well, if Paul's a writer, I'll, I'll say we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. But Paul said the same thing to the Corinthians. Remember this? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul said, but I, brothers, he's recognized, these are believers. I, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Now, this is not Paul's problem. This is not... He's over their head. It's like, you're not ready for it. And he's pointing out, you're not ready for it because you have done something here. And even now you're not ready for you are still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy, strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, oh, I follow Paul, well, I follow Paulus. Are you not merely human? Right, do you hear the tone of voice in Paul in this moment? He's not affirming those things. He's questioning them. And isn't it interesting that he points to real life issues that you and I find ourselves living in? Jealousy? Strife? Anybody had any of that going on lately? Right, and if you sit down and talk to somebody else, you might unpack the strife being caused by that person. And what they're doing that's got you all lit up. And, and you're bothered and you've suddenly become discontent today because you made the mistake of flipping through your feed and seeing somebody else getting to live the life that you'd like to live. And now you're jealous and you're consumed by it and you're complaining about everything. And somebody comes into your proximity and just gets vomited on because you're in a bad mood and you're just going to let them know you don't like this. And you don't like, why do you always? And you're just up in people. Where did all that come from? Well, because I was jealous. Did you ever think that jealousy and strife come from immaturity? Don't, don't raise any hands in this moment. How many of us here are just as jealous as Christians as we've ever been? Just as comparative. 
Just as I'm of this and I'm of that and who are you and how do I compare? And then we get insecure and we stay away from you because you make me feel insecure. All this stuff going off in us all the time. And we were that way when we were a year old in Christ and 10 years old in Christ and 20 years old in Christ. Did, Did you realize Paul puts his finger on immaturity is behind that? Sinclair Ferguson says the writers, he's he's written an outstanding book called Maturity. He says the writers of the New Testament had a deep-seated concern to see Christians grow to spiritual maturity. Paul tells us that this was a central goal in his ministry. He worked hard to present everyone mature in Christ. But it's easy to neglect our calling to grow up to be mature Christians. It requires time and patient progress. It's developed only in the school of discipleship. The word mature, talios, belongs to a family of words in the New Testament, which convey the idea of, of wholeness, right? We're moving towards wholeness. The word had other uses. It meant to reach a high level of competence as a doctor or teacher, even as a thief. Stable capable Christians whose gifts and graces have been developed. Those who by God's grace have become, listen, masters of themselves. Nudge your husband or wife. And are able to use all the gifts that God has given them in his service. The mature Christian has been finally shaped by the Holy Spirit and has been filled out in character, which shows the fruit of the Spirit. You know, when you sit and stare into the Word of God that reveals God, you start to see yourself correctly. I I don't know if it's capable to be self-ignorant, without being God ignorant at all the same time. I think the more distant I am from understanding myself, it's because I lack understanding God. Can I just tell you, I mean, I've done lots of marriage counseling through the years. Why is it that marriage counseling, good marriage books, marriage conference, why, why does that not seem to help some couples? They'll go through the motions of that. But two months later, they're going to be in the same spot doing the same thing again. Can you just ponder that through this lens? Might it be that the problem wasn't insights, it was immaturity. And so you come along as a counselor and you offer insights. This is what God says. This is just about you. This is what you could do. This is what God calls you to stop doing. This is what you are been empowered to. But immaturity is in place, and there's nowhere to put any of that stuff. Insights need maturity. And so this is where it's kind of strange that, so you, you mean like systematic theology would help my marriage? Yes. You can get lots of people. I think mean, if we did a... a, a a marriage weekend and advertised it and said, oh, you get all kinds of couples to come to that. If we did a systematic theology weekend, you have a little sparse crowd. 
but seeing God accurately. Understand that you can sit with a counselor and let's say you and your spouse have some problems with communication or you have some problems with past issues that have taken place. And so somebody shares with you forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness in your marriage. You know, it's a long walk together to be forgiving. And, and then someone pulls out a little piece of systematic theology and says, hey, you, you know, you're called to forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. All right, now, I just loaded you up with a systematic theology phrase. If you don't understand all the blood that was mentioned last week when Frank stood up and talked about years and years and years of these Israelites watching blood poured out over and over and over again, they came to realize this God does not do forgiveness easily. And for you and I to be living in the good of his forgiveness was a costly price that he was eager to spend. He crushed his own son so that he could extend forgiveness. God was eager to forgive me. How do I, how do I come to understand that? By studying the high priesthood of Jesus and looking at what those sacrifices meant. And if I don't know anything about that, and somebody just serves up to me the little surfacey ideas, hey, well, you forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. You don't, that's not, doesn't have any weight to it, does it? It's a bunch of little words. They don't mean anything. There's no weight there. That's why depth of doctrine matters all over the place in the Christian life. You and I cannot do the Christian life and be immature. Cannot. Verse 13. Everyone who lives on milk. Everyone who lives on milk. All right, two quick thoughts. One, a milk diet is an appropriate diet at some point. So nobody should be insulted that at some point they are an infant in Christ. And milk is appropriate and they should enjoy, appreciate, digest, make use of. Matter of fact, milk's kind of never going to go away for any of us. So it stays valuable to our soul. But notice something else here. Second, it is possible to develop a brand of discipleship that lives only on milk. That's the problem with the Hebrews. That's what's being addressed. Everyone who lives on milk, like you guys, you're not accustomed to richer food. Richard Phillips says, this is one of the passages that indicates that the readers of this epistle were not recent converts or new believers. By this time, you ought to be teachers, he says. And he doesn't mean that they should be all ordained ministers, but that they ought to be able to instruct others in the faith. Whereas, in fact, they haven't yet grasped the most elemental truths of God's word. Recipients of this letter were like many Christians today who think that theology is a waste of time. What difference does it make, people ask, whether God is a trinity or not? Whether Christ's righteousness comes by imputation or infusion? And whether regeneration comes before faith or after? Right, some of us are about to wax over right now going, what the heck were all those lines about? What is important, they say, listen to this, is that we get along with each other. Then they cite passages commending a childlike faith as if that were the same as a childish faith. That is one that is indifferent to or ignorant of the word of God. 
This attitude is so prevalent today that perhaps the majority of professing believers try to nourish themselves on the weak diet of milk alone. Not that there is anything wrong with milk. It's just that those who are no longer babies require a stronger diet if they are to grow. Yet we're living in a time when most church members are immensely ignorant of the Bible and its doctrine. And then he mentions in verse 14, but solid food, so there is such a thing as solid food. Something is being referred to differently in our diet. Solid food is for the mature. And so there is such a thing as recognized maturity in the Bible. For those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. All right, this is the hard work here. Trained. Trained by. This can become a non-training session for anyone here this morning. Where we don't intend to listen like we have to use any of this stuff. We don't take notes as though God is sharing something with me that I need to put on and experience because life is coming. And when it shows up, I'm going to need to be deep in something I heard this morning. And if I'm not, I'm going to sound like these Hebrews. And life is going to tempt me to quit, to be confused about God, to not persevere, to question my faith. That's what's coming. So I, I need some depth, but I need to be trained And training is a tough tough word. Raymond Brown says, but what is most serious about their spiritual ignorance is that being unfamiliar with God's word, they do not know his mind on important doctrinal, ethical, and spiritual issues. It is crazy to me to watch the shift in evangelicalism in the categories that the culture is shifting in right now. It is crazy that you could have these matters be so settled and suddenly shift in all these categories that are happening in our culture. What is it saying? It's highlighting the immaturity of the body. His truth is a word of righteousness and those who master its message learn how to distinguish good from evil. This does not come to anybody without effort. These spiritual faculties have to be trained. It's the word for gymnasium, as in a gymnasium, an idea that returns later in the epistle, also in the context of discipline. These Jewish Christians had certainly not intended to get into this indolent, useless state, but this is clearly what happened to them. Why? I don't know what Christianity was like to join for them, but can, can I just tell you, I mean, I, you know, Christianity, any, if any of us are Christians, it's because of divine election. It's because God reaches into our world and informs us of himself in such a way that, that we stop resisting him and turn to him. So if you will, you got drafted by God. Can I just say it this way? You know, being a Christian is sort of like playing in the NFL. You ever interact with NFL players when you go ask Josh about this and some of the other guys. It's a life-dominating thing. You move to another city. You reorganize your life, your routines, your training, your diet. Everything becomes 
about this sense of calling in your life. You have the rare opportunity to play at the highest level in a sport that you love. And you don't want to miss the opportunity. You want to be everything you could possibly be and play at an ultimate level. And you go through some stuff to train for that. I don't know where the NFL is in comparison to being a Christian. The great call to bring the kingdom of heaven into the earth. To pronounce the king's rulership and his glory and his reclaiming of everything in rebellion against him. To come heralding good news. To live in such a way that the power of God exudes from our lives and touches others and brings light into darkness. I don't know where to put the NFL. There is a training needed in our lives that we not be immature believers. Yes, one, one last thing here. Stephen, can you come just for a moment? One last thing gets mentioned here. Maybe unpack it a little bit further, but the idea of constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Constant practice. Constant practice. A Christian lives in an environment requiring constant practice in discerning good and evil. We never get to take the day off. Something doesn't get to come to us with our guard down and our thinking gone. And we don't discern. Is this good or evil? Darkness or light? What is this thing that's coming to me right now? What is this idea that's being presented? I think I wrote in your outline, you are inundated with messages, arguments, philosophies, and pathways to rewards. This passage teaches the necessity to be constant in filtering. Always discerning good from evil. Able. Able to do what Romans chapter 12 says we must do. To have our minds renewed so that we can agree with and bear witness with that which is in the will of God. Which is good and perfect and right. I need my mind to be renewed. In that category. I need to be trained. I need to be taught. I need to be an expert in this. Because life is coming to me. It's offering me ideas. That are undermining the truth of God. You're living in a culture. That wants to convince you. That you don't have any responsibility for your life. You're a victim. Of everybody else. You're a victim of the system around you. And you're a victim of other people in your life. And so therefore you don't have any responsibility. You're going to freak out when you stand before God. And he holds you responsible. No one will get to get into heaven. Because you, you were smart enough to say. Hey that Adam was an idiot. He and Eve did something really stupid God. You know and and I've just suffered ever since. That's not going to work. And it's undermining truths of scripture. The God who is the authority figure in this Bible, he is an authority figure. The world that you and I live in every day spends its day pushing back on authority, resisting institutions, resenting anybody who ever had any authority, suspecting that they've done the wrong thing, corrupting them, but in the process teaching us to not value authority. But Jesus Christ is Lord, not pal. 
He's not coworker. He's not dude who grew up in my neighborhood. He's not the man upstairs. He's Lord. That's a word loaded with authority that he imposes his ideas on his creation and he calls us to submit to him as king. And you and I don't have permission to suspect he's on some power trip and he's done something wrong like everybody else in power. And, and you know, you understand why I can't resist. Everybody else I've ever been exposed to having an ounce of power did me wrong. The Bible still expects that we're going to submit to him. But these ideas, they're coming at you every day, every day. You know how hard it's become to teach the distinction of the role between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife in a marriage? Because we've lived in an age where everything you've been served up is, is the abuse of that power, the abuse of that power, the abuse of that power, the abuse of that power. And, and that's horrible. And that needs to be corrected. But the abuse of power doesn't make power go away. The abuse of authority doesn't make authority go away. And I have to discern that. Otherwise, I will jettison things and silence God in my life as though he doesn't have the right to tell me things anymore. Because I don't believe anybody gets to tell me what to do. Nobody gets to impose themselves. This is the stuff coming to us every day. And if we're immature, we're not going to survive. Like these Hebrews, life has showed up and it's weighty and it's sitting on many of us and we're trying to manage it. All right, so here's what I want to do this morning. I'm going to do something really simple to close. I want every, everybody to take out their phone. Everybody take your phone out. I know you're like, is Keith having an out-of-body experience? <laughs> Keith hates phones. <laughs> everybody take your phone out. In your phone somewhere, you've got something of a task list or calendar. You've got something that you go to to help organize your life. All right, so find that for me real quick. Open it up. Everybody everybody except Peter has a a task list or something to organize. Uh, He's got a wife. Yeah, that, that works. There's always been an app for that, right? (laughs) All right. I I would say in your life pattern, maturity needs intentionality. It will not happen without intentionality. Immaturity will happen in a lack of intentionality. And then life will show up and, and you won't be able to do life. You'll accuse God. You'll misunderstand. You'll conclude things that are not true. You'll accuse this and accuse that. Right, so this is, this is breathing exercises, right? In your planning, in your life, I, I would say there, there needs to be a big three. How about we just install a big three? And you figure out where that's going to go, but it needs to go somewhere in your life. All right, so one of the big threes just needs to be the simple breathing exercise of the Bible and prayer. So write that down. Where am I putting the Bible and prayer? Second of the big three. Corporate gatherings. 
The New Testament knows nothing of isolated Lone Ranger Christians because it knows that we need others to, to keep us with sound doctrine, to guide us further into the truth, to help us experience the life of God together. So corporate gatherings. Question, stick in your outline there. Where am I putting corporate gatherings? Because if you don't intentionally do this, you will show up in this meeting who knows when. What, you didn't have anything going on this weekend, so you're here? Great. Tuning in because I couldn't make it. Right? The, Sunday morning has lost priority in the great de-churching in America. It is not what it once was for any of us. Where am I putting corporate gatherings? This, this needs to find holy ground again. And Sunday morning needs to bounce off of this setting. And everything else that wants to happen in that setting needs to find another parking space. Yeah, you can amen that. Says the manager of Chick-fil-A. Right, they shut the whole business down. Thanks for doing that, Ben. Discipleship needs to happen. Which means we need places like systematic theology. We need to listen for classes when they're being offered. We need small groups that help us think about how to apply the truth in our lives. Right? So those are corporate gatherings. Those are things you do with other people. So you have, number one, Bible and prayer. Number two, corporate gatherings. Number three, personal study. Personal study. It's where you buy big books like systematic theology. And on your own time, you and the Holy Spirit sit down and you open those books and you spend time in them. And quite honestly, you're going to spend more time in that setting than you're going to spend in this setting. So that's a really important category. You can't survive on these meetings. You've got to have all three of these things happening in your life. All right, this is not just a pledge to, to boost activity in the church. This, this is Hebrews pastoral advice that says, hey, can I just tell you life is coming? It's on its way for you. And a life crisis moment is going to come. It's going to sit on you. And you're going to want to try to figure out what do I do with this? Because I'm scared. I'm freaked out. I'm confused. I'm emotionally in a weird place. What are you going to do in that moment? You are going to need maturity in that moment. Immaturity will not serve you. But immaturity is not a button you press. You become mature by the big three. Spending time in those categories. So wherever you put that, that needs to get watered, right? Just like my St. Augustine grass at home. When I go home, I got to water it again today. You're going to need to water this and figure out where am I, where am I putting this? This week, is this just another thing to, hey, let me move on to the next thing. Where am I putting intentionally maturing in my, where am I putting it? Let's stand up together. Lord, it can begin to feel unnoticed. It can begin to feel normal. To be some version of an immature Christian. We still got ideas that we believe in. We still have some convictions. We still have some practices. 
But Lord, they're not going to survive the crisis moments of our lives. They're not going to face the onslaught of the enemy when he ratchets up his attack. They're not going to face well the severity of a broken world when it touches us. So Lord, we will need some maturity in that moment. We will need some depth. Lord, we will need a better understanding of deep ideas like the priesthood of Jesus for that day. So Lord, would you put some things in place for us that lead to maturity? Lord, that we would not be a people that the writer of Hebrews could speak to us and say, by this time you ought to be, but rather a people who celebrate where you are at this moment. How good has growth been that you are in this place? What a wonderful delight. Let us talk about the deep things of God together. Well, that's who we want to be. Lord, I don't want to overlook something. I mentioned that there are life crisis moments that come to us. Lord, there are some folks here this morning. They get that. Life feels crushing right now. Weighty, discouraging, disorienting, confusing. Lord, we need your nearness in these moments. Lord, we just need to know that you haven't forgotten us, Lord, and you haven't. We need to remember that you have spoken some things to us that travel with us into the places that feel desolate and isolated and alone. You said, Lord, you would never leave us or forsake us. You have given us your nearness and your presence. Lord, in a taste of what's to come. Lord, there's coming a day when there will be no light because your presence will illuminate the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, there will not be a location where we go to find you and experience you, but Lord, your presence will permeate everything in such a way that we sense and feel your nearness like we have never known. Lord, here in this place, we need that nearness. God, would you be gracious to some who are here right now, traveling through a dark valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Lord, why would I not fear? Because you are with me. Lord, the valley is grabbing the headlines for some folks that are here today. And their aloneness is what they feel more than anything else. Maybe some folks who are watching Lord, they need to experience your nearness. They need a reminder of your word that leads to an experience of your reality, Lord. Would you do that? Walk them through Psalm 23 with your assurance, Lord, that you are with them. You will not leave them. You will see them to the other side. if you're here this morning and you need some prayer in a category would you just find your way forward and the prayer team will come find you and just pray with you right we believe in the renewing of the mind but we also believe in a god who shows up and does stuff that nobody can explain he just shows up and suddenly something goes off in our heart and there's faith there there's a sense of god's nearness it's just it's just there it's a little different than studying the bible it's this presence of the holy spirit and maybe god wants to impart that to you 
this morning. So, so don't walk out if, if that's where you are. You just need somebody to pray with you. Come join these guys in prayer and just share what you're comfortable sharing. If you're not comfortable at all, just ask them just to pray for you and that's fine. But come receive from God today. And when you go open up your app this week, your calendar, your task, find those big three. You will not, cannot mature without them. Amen? And God bless you guys. Y'all have a great, great, great week. Thank you guys for joining us online.